Hi, this is Nichelle Nichols, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Aren't we all lucky? Ed Robertson, welcome you back to TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that's happy to play part two of a conversation that began last week with Walter Koenig. Walter Koenig, the actor known around the world as Pavel Chekhov on the original Star Trek and the first seven Star Trek motion pictures, and Alfred Bester on Babylon 5. Besides leaving his mark as an actor on stage, film, and television. Walter Koenig is also an accomplished author, screenwriter, director, producer, novelist, and above all, a gifted storyteller. Walter's memoir, Beaming Up and Getting Off, is the story of his life and career before, during, and after Star Trek, walking you through his growing up years as the son of Russian immigrants in 1940s Manhattan, as well as his formative years as an actor with the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York City, where Walter learned his craft alongside such classmates as Christopher Lloyd, Brenda Vaccaro, Jessica Walter, James Kahn, and Dabney Coleman, Walter's lifelong love of the theater, and his deep appreciation for the many opportunities that Star Trek continues to give him over the past 50 years. Years. Beaming up and getting off life before and beyond, Star Trek is available in hardcover and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group. You can also find it at Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. We'll talk specifically about Star Trek in just a second. But first, as we pick up the conversation, there are many moments in reading Beaming Up and Getting Off, Walter, where, especially when you talk about your formative years growing up in New York and and the various teachers that um, you encountered in grammar school. There are many moments where you where your writing reminds me of Charles Dickens, and there are many moments where you're you're writing your self-effacing uh, sense of humor reminds me of Frederick Exley, contemporary writer, American Book Award winner, wrote one of my favorite books called A Fan's Notes. Was there any particular writer that has influenced you? throughout your career, or did you always have an inner voice of your own as a writer? I think I, I mostly had an inner voice. I think you, you almost have to, if you're writing about yourself and in the, in the reality of your life, as if, you t- if you, you try to stylize it after somebody else, I think uh, it, the reader would become aware that it's an exercise you're participating in, and it's not as, as genuine and as honest as if they actually hear your voice in the words, and um, I think that I think that's what I did mostly. In the, in the second volume, the second part of of the book, I took on the, for one I think one chapter, I took on the, the cadence of Mickey Spillane. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, you, you you were aware of that. Well, that yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, I had fun with that. Yeah. Yeah. There are many stories about your relationship with William Shatner. Um, Who? (laughs) (laughs) And there are many stories in both part one of Beaming Up and Getting Off and part two. We're not going to talk about a lot of them because I want our listeners to pick up a copy of Beaming Up and Getting Off and reading them for yourself. But there's one, there's a poignant episode in both part one and part two that you, you talk about what you call 
Shatner's complexity of character. And it's very, very insightful. And I never thought of it like this before. But when when he is not the star of a production and doesn't have all the responsibilities of being a star, right? you often saw the best of him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think that's true. And, you, and you, you know, the thing that, that, that I always keep in mind uh, when, I, when I joke about him is there, there wouldn't have been Star Trek without him. You know, um, I don't think. I know Jeffrey Hunter did the pilot, but Jeffrey Hunter didn't want to do, do the series, or his wife didn't want him to. Yeah. And um, so Shatner was kind of a second choice in that regard. But he so fitted the role and brought a lot of charisma and uh, personality and, and appeal to the character, uh, which was really uh, a statement about his acting because he didn't always have that when he wasn't on the, on the set. But um, you've got to give him credit for that. And, for the, you know, of course, Leonard Nimoy was essential to the Star Trek success as well. But I really feel that, with the exception of Leonard, other people could have could have been cast in our roles, and they would have done a, you know a good job. I'm sort of arguing against myself because I, I'm, what I'm saying is that you're you're being you're being self-effacive. Which, which... Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I, I was just saying that Leonard was Leonard was the one who was really indispensable. Yeah. Uh, because he was, I mean, literally, he was Spock. I mean, he was Spock off camera. I'd ask him a question. I remember he really pissed me off. I asked him a question in the third season. Uh, uh, that had nothing to do with Star Trek. We, in fact, we were in civilian clothes. And I asked him a question, and he turned and looked at me, and he gave me the freaking eyebrow. <laughs> and I wanted to kill him. I wanted to freaking kill him. I mean, he wasn't playing with me. He was, at that moment, he was Spock. And um, it really, really annoyed me. Um, but he would, uh, that's a whole other story because he was really a good person. Um, but Bill, regardless, whether somebody else could have played Shatner's part or not, uh, that's what I was really arguing against myself because I do believe somebody could have. He was the one that carried the show to a great extent, had enormous following, enormous following. And he pretty much reserved the, the pain in the ass part uh, to the supporting actors on the show. And when the franchise continued to succeed yes. without him, and, 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 and without him and the other original cast members, um, he felt a loss. He felt sad because I'm not part of that anymore. Right. Did he read, did he write something about that? He must have. Well, no, you. I mean, I'm. I did. You yeah. did. You did. And and I was very. I was. That was one of my takeaways because you know that was that was very insightful and it 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 made, it made him very human. Very very human. And that was the writer in you because as a writer you have to step back. And you know, sort of look at the whole person, the character, and 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 you captured a side of him that I've never, that I haven't read anywhere else before. Yeah, yeah, I I was surprised and 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 touched by it. Ultimately, it didn't 
it didn't influence our relationship. It remained pretty, uh, pretty, pretty min- minimal, you know. But but you 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 understood him. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think it's safe to say you 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 may understand him. You got a window into him that few people do. Yeah. And yeah. and again, you he. He comes across as a full flesh and blood, you know, a warts and all character in beaming up and getting off. Good. It makes it very, very rich to read. Good. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We are the real Brady Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of The Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why The Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are The Real Brady Bros. Walter Koenig's memoir, Beaming Up and Getting Off Life Before and Beyond, Star Trek, available in hardcover, and as an ebook through Jacobs Brown Media Group, you can also find it Amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. Uh, we talked a little bit before about Star Trek for the Voyage Home. You say that was the only one of the first seven movies that connected not just to the core Star Trek viewers, but to the to, to a mainstream audience as well. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a fish out of water story, and people always respond to that. You know. You're in a circumstance or an environment or at a time in history and life with which you have never been faced and don't know how to adapt. The comedy coming from nothing, knowing how to adapt to these strange circumstances you haven't faced before. And I think that the scene with Bill and Leonard in the car is really a delightful, delightful scene, very funny. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were all faced with, to, in one way or another with the situations that we uh, had not uh, had to deal with before. Uh, even the, the one line where uh, Chekhov says he's reporting back to Kirk on his communicator and uh, after scoping out the place for the, for the nuclear, nuclear, I can't say it, I'm sorry, I can't say it. <laughs> Vessel. (laughs) (laughs) And he says to Kirk, and sir, it's the Enterprise. (laughs) That was, I loved saying that line, you know, and and even though it's a different Enterprise and it's several hundred years time difference, it was was just a a sweet moment that... uh, that you know, Chekhov shares with his captain. Yeah, it's 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 the first time that you, as Chekhov, Chekhov as a character, was given something substantial to do, and all seven of the characters had at least had had at least a moment in Star yeah. Trek Four. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I should say that George got the short end. George Takei. He had a very nice scene, which I helped uh, write, actually about being in when we were in San Francisco and he meets up with a little kid who uh, and the way George had it written in in his head before they actually put it on paper was the kid asks him um, why he's wearing those strange clothes and George explains Sulu explains that they're from another time and they're here or I don't know what George's dialogue was 
but it was about the clothes. Yeah, and it, the takeaway was, I think he was supposed to be talking to his great, great... Well, that's what I added. Yeah. Uh, that's, I said, George, why don't you put this in? And he took that to Harv Bennett, and they did, and they wrote it. And it was a great little scene. And one of the best scenes that George was, was, had the opportunity to do. And uh, the kid turned out to be a little monster. And um, he uh, refused to do it. He, he, he said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And we kept coming back to him. And Leonard was directing. And he, he talked to him. And George talked to him. He was a, you know, an Asian-American kid. Um, and he was you know, perfect for the part. But he just got a little bug up his behind and decided he didn't want to participate. And uh, we, George was told that they'd come back and shoot. The, that the sun was going down and we couldn't shoot that day. So Ralph Winters and and I think Leonard told him, told George that they'd come back to San Francisco on another occasion and shoot the scene with another kid. Well, actually, before that. They, 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 yeah, I, I left out a step. After the kid kept saying, no, 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 his older brother, who was there, he was about three years older, I mean, who wasn't as, as charming uh, you know, and as uh, appealing as the little kid was, mm-hmm. even though he was kind of a brat, he volunteered to play the part. When he volunteered to play the part, then his younger brother said he would do it. Um, by then, the sun had gone down, and we lost the opportunity, and we never came back. Yeah. And uh, I really felt badly for George because George missed a lot of a lot of opportunities where he might have had uh, more to do. Dialogue that I ended up doing because he was off shooting the Green Berets with John Wayne, and and, and didn't come back in time to shoot the you know those uh, those parts in the original series. Yeah. There's a very, very funny story involving you and George. You, you, you have a chapter on some of your great and not-so-great experiences with fan conventions, among, including some of the ones that didn't go so well. My favorite story, and I bring it up because we have an affiliate in Dothan, Alabama, WDIG. And Dothan, Alabama is sort of the star of this particular story. And it, it enabled you to live out a fantasy of being in an Errol Flynn <laughs> swashbuckling movie. Yeah, that was, that was a great moment. It's a great moment. We had been, we had been in, in a, um, a huge camper or bus or something, and we drove from Florida to Dothan. It was a long, long trip. Um, and, and this had been the bus... I think that Queen used. It was a, it was a band as big as or, Queen. Or Prince. Either Queen or Prince, Prince yeah. Prince, yeah. It was another title, yeah. 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 We, we, we hadn't achieved Queendom. <laughs> <laughs> we're, still, we're still with Princes. <laughs> and it was very, very hot. And we finally got to Dotham. And, um, <laughs> and uh, we, we were given T-shirts. It was a, it was a, a, a mom and pop store. Mm-hmm. It opened. It was when all those stores were open with videotapes. Yeah, like like a blockbuster or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they had T-shirts they wanted us to wear in the store when we were signing. So we retired to a small uh, building behind the, the store itself and took off our shirts and were getting ready to go, get into our T-shirts that had the name of the 
of the store on them, and uh, somebody came in with a sword, uh, or a rapier, mm-hmm. or a, a foil. It yeah. was a foil, I guess. And uh, I think it was me who gave it to George. He would bear in mind he's now he now is shirtless. Yeah. So he's naked from the waist up. And I said, George, the evil people are inside. <laughs> You've got to stop them. <laughs> and it's just eyes just lit up. It was extraordinary to see. I mean this transformation. Forget Clark Gable, forget Rock Hudson. I mean, this was this was the leading man of all time. Yeah, and it, it was like the naked time all over again. It was the naked time, and he, he took the cue, took the, the 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 weapon, and ran into the it, it, without a shirt and ran to the store. Jimmy was there signing, <laughs> and George ran at him and thrust it into his belly. <laughs> No, it, it was it didn't have a point, you know. It was foil, but by after all the hours we had spent in the hot day in the hot car, Jimmy was in no mood. Yes, but 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 <laughs> he you grabbed the end of the, of the foil and they they struggled over it while an audience of southern people. <laughs> Well, what are, what, 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 are these, what are they doing? <laughs> the third fight that was going on. Yeah, George but didn't, George was so involved he didn't let go, and Jimmy had the tip, and they fought back and forth, and Jimmy was screaming at him. It was it was one of the funniest moments yeah. I remember from the show. Yeah, Jimmy may not have been into it at the time, but for you and George, it was a great way to sort of release some of the tension of being cooped up in a bus, you know, on a yeah. hot day where the air conditioner broke down, and it was able, it, it gave you a little bit of relief, you know, so that... <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> it's very funny to read. George loved it because he was recreating the best TV uh, Sulu that he had played, and Jimmy hated it because he didn't want to be poked in the, t- in the ribs while he was signing autographs. Yeah. So it was it was, a, it was a great moment all around. Before I forget, there's a new documentary about Nichelle Nichols called Woman in Motion. It tells the story of how she worked with NASA in the 1970s to help bring, uh, to recruit uh, something like 8,000 or 10,000 people of color to join the space program. And Walter, I understand you're one of the people who who, who participated in that documentary. Yeah, I, I was interviewed. I don't remember. Uh, it was about a year, year and a half ago, I think, that I was interviewed for that. And I, I really don't remember any of the details. I, I, I love Michelle. She's a sweetheart. She was the first one to accept me, greet me uh, when I joined the Star Trek crew. And she's always been a charming person. She's still a, a sweet lady, and it's great fun to talk to at conventions. And I'm sure whatever you said in the documentary, you spoke glowingly of her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> Walter Koenig is on the line with us. Walter Koenig, the actor known around the world as Pavel Chekhov in the original Star Trek and the first seven Star Trek motion pictures and Alfred Bester on Babylon 5. We'll take a quick time out. We'll talk some more with Walter Koenig when we come back on TV Confidential. 
Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Want a free first ride with Uber? Uber, the mobile app that connects you with a ride at the touch of a button in minutes. Enter promo code TV Confidential after you download the app to receive your first free ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. You can now purchase t-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash Merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first time home buyer, or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.